You know, one thing when it comes to this time of the year, and we, we focus our attention on Jesus coming, uh, for Christians, that all takes a different meaning, doesn't it? You know, the I don't know that the world really knows, you know, Jesus is mentioned and um, he's kind of mentioned with a lot of other things like Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and all those kind of things. So I don't know if they kind of equate him to one of those things. But as Christians, we know he's real. He's real. And, you know, his coming was a promise. And, and we've been looking at, at, at hope the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think that as Christians, his coming gives us so much to hope for and so much to uh, to transfer even into our daily walk and, and what we hope for and what we what we see and how we see things. Because as Christians, we should have a different perspective on everything in life than the world has, shouldn't we? Because everything looks different when you're a Christian. Everything comes from a different foundation. And, and you know, uh, as as we, we look at hope and as we, we talk about different things, last week we looked at just the amazing puzzle that God put together in the coming of Christ. He put all these pieces together that only God could have done. Uh, you know, he knew how he would fix mankind. He knew how he would heal our brokenness. And we didn't. And the people who lived in the day when even those prophecies came forth, they didn't really fully grasp what he was going to do. But when you look at it from our vantage point and we see everything that he did, would you agree? It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's really amazing that he was able to do all that. And what it, what that tells us is that God is in control of things. God has a plan. And he's always working that plan. Now, why is that good news to you? Because what does it mean for your life? If he can do that with this whole universe, if he can do that with everything that's going on, you think he has trouble with whatever's going on in your life. He doesn't. He doesn't. So know that he has a plan, uh, hope in his plan, and, and rest in it. Just rest in his promises, rest and trust that he's in control. Now, another part of hope, and I mentioned this earlier that we we're going to be talking about this today, you know that the early church lived with an anticipation of Jesus' return. They actually thought that he would come back in their lifetime, that when he left, that he was, he was coming right back. Now, we know, because we're looking at it from a lot longer down, that, that he didn't have that in mind, right? And they were not the first group of people to believe Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Uh, there's always been a group of people who thought that. And there's always been a lot of things that kind of go, well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But here's what we know. He is coming back, right? And it's going to be in somebody's lifetime. We just don't know if it's going to be in ours. And he's got a plan that he's working, and, and he knows exactly what he's up to. Now, when we, when we talk about uh, Jesus coming, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, and uh, the first group of people when he came kind of missed, a lot of them missed the idea because the, the puzzle seemed to indicate a conquering Messiah, and what they got was a suffering servant. And so they probably thought, that can't be him, right? I mean, this guy's being beaten, he's being crucified, can't be the Messiah. So they had this idea that, well, the Messiah is a conqueror. Now, now here's the neat thing about Scripture. What they didn't realize was there were two comings. There were two advents, okay? There were two times that Jesus would come, one, as a suffering servant, two, as what? A conquering Messiah. You know, he's coming back in that fashion. In fact, in Revelation chapter 19, let me read you this picture because I think it's a pretty amazing picture because when you think about Jesus, here's what you should know. He came that way the first time for a purpose. 
He didn't come that way. See, what people mistake sometimes about meekness is, is it's sometimes mistaken for weakness. Meekness is not weakness because meekness is power under control. Jesus had all the power he needed to come as a conquering Messiah at that point, didn't he? He told his disciples, I could call, I could ask my father and he'd give me 12 legions of angels. They would come and do whatever I wanted them to do. But that wasn't his purpose, was it? So he had the ability to do what was in his purpose, even though people didn't understand it. And even though it would be misunderstood, but he had a purpose. He was working. Now he is coming back as a conquering Messiah. Let's read what it says in Revelation chapter 19. John speaking here, he said, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Now, first time Jesus came into Jerusalem, what did he come on? Does that impress you at all? I mean, to see your king come in on a donkey? Probably not, right? That's like, you know, when the president rolls up, what does he roll up in? Big black, nice car. I don't even know how much those things cost that he's got because it's bulletproof and all this stuff. How impressed would you be if he if he came in? And this this was really going to date me. How many of you remember Yugos? Anybody remember a Yugo? Okay, some of you do. Some of you young people are like, I don't even remember that. Like imagine the the what in your mind is the the lowest of cars out there. It wouldn't impress you, right? So nobody was really that impressed by him coming in on a donkey, but he had a purpose for that because he was coming in humbly. But this time it says he's coming in on a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. So so Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to make sure everybody knows who he is. First time, he would tell people at times, as we're going through the Gospels on Wednesday night talking about different things, Jesus a lot of times would say, don't tell anybody about this. But second time, not going to be like that. Okay, He declares who he is. He's faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, we're in a, in a season of grace where he's given opportunity for people to come to him. He's given this, this season where people can come to him. There's going to come a day, though, where that's done, and now it's time for judgment on sin. And so a lot of people don't think about Jesus like this, but it says he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire. Now, if you're on the wrong side of a flame of fire, <laughs> that can be a, an intense deal. And so uh, you don't want to be on that side of it. And his head, uh, on his head, there are many diadems or crowns. That's a, a symbol of royalty. And he has a name written that no one knows but he, but himself. He is clothed with, clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the, of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, you think you're going to be impressed on that day? I'm impressed just reading about it. That's an awe-inspiring experience to see what we just read about, right? That's how Jesus is coming back. So when we talk about his second coming, recognize it's very different from the first coming because it has a different purpose, right? Now, here's the interesting thing for us. We live in this space and time that, that, that I like to call the time between the times. You know, Jesus has come and he's, he's fulfilled a lot of what was said. He's paid everything he needed to pay, purchased us, but yet it's not finished. In fact, I heard a minister this week when I was listening to a message talk, call it the already, but not yet. 
time. And, and so we're in this space of time where he's done a lot and he, he's done everything that he needed to do. When, he's, when he died on the cross, he said what? It is finished. So what he had to do was done. But now there's this space of time that Peter tells us, you know, he's wanting all men to come to repentance. So he's given as many opportunities as possible and he's still working his plan. And, and the full redemption of mankind has been paid for, but not fully realized, Right? You know, there's so much that we've been given an inheritance that we have yet to step into. And, and some of that will be reserved for this time that we're talking about today, okay? Uh, we talk about the freedom from sin. I certainly believe that we should all be walking and learning how to walk away from sin, moving away from it. But you know what? Until Jesus returns and until he fulfills the whole thing, we're probably all still going to be struggling with that. I don't see any end to that until that day. Uh, but that's that time between the times. That's what we're in right now. Now, today, you know, I want to look at uh, his his return. But let me let me say this, qualifying what we're about to talk about. Um, I don't fully understand how Jesus is going to do all of this. Okay, and I say that because sometimes when people teach on Jesus' return, they feel like they've got everything. They know exactly how it's going to happen. And when I look at Scripture. Here's where I come to it. I'm just being completely honest with you. There's some things that I'm sure about, and there's some things I'm not sure about. And because I'm not sure about something, I'm just going to tell you I'm not sure about it because I don't know. There's some things I don't know about. There's, some, there's a lot of people that I have a lot of respect for, Bible teachers that don't agree on some of these issues. And and that's okay because here's how I look at it. Remember remember how we, we looked last week at the whole idea of Sometimes, you know, a prophecy can look almost like it contradicts itself, right? One, one might contradict another. Uh, you know, we looked at Jesus and how, you know, the scriptures told us he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Then it said he's going to be called a Nazarene. And then it said he's going to be out of Egypt. And you think, well, that, that's three people. You can't have one person do all that. But did Jesus do all of that? He did. So some things I believe God, God talks about in here and ahead of time because he wants to give us a picture but it's only crystal clear after the fact, when you look backwards. So, um, you know, that's how it is with, with this particular topic. Now, first thing I want to I touch on is the things that we do know. And we're going to throw up just some points here so you can know what these things are. Uh, first one, Jesus is coming again. That we know, right? We know he's coming again. We, we don't wonder, okay, did he just come down and he just kind of give us some principles to live by and now mankind's just supposed to live by those principles, principles and we'll never see him again until we die. No, we know he's coming again. In fact, let me read you a couple of scriptures that, and there's a whole lot more than this, but Jesus himself said this in John 14, uh, verse 1 is where I'll start. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? And I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare, he said that, right? Also, now, does that sound like he's coming again? He said that, right? Then if we jumped over to the book of Acts, when Jesus left after he had visited with the disciples uh, for a period of 40 days, um, and he ascends into heaven here. And this is Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. Uh, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now imagine you're talking to Jesus. There's, there's a bunch of people there. Now Paul told us that there were like 500 people that saw this event. 
So that tells us there was a lot of eyewitnesses, right? So Jesus is talking with them, and all of a sudden, he starts going up into the clouds. He starts going up into heaven. So you're standing there, you're watching this, and it says in verse 10, while they were gazing into the heavens, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, now, if two men show up in white robes, what's your assumption going to be? Angels, right? That's that's what I would assume. So I think that's what they assumed as well. And I think uh, Luke, as he was writing this, kind of assumed that we would gather that. Uh, verse 11 said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's saying, look, there's going to come a day he's coming back to just show up next to us. So what that tells us is when he returns, he probably isn't going to just show up next to us. He's going to return in a way that is he's seen in the sky, right? But this scripture is telling us that he will what? He is coming again. Literally, physically, because that's how he was at that point, right? So he said the same, throw up the next one. <coughs> we don't know the day or the hour, right? Now, in Matthew chapter 24, I'm just going to hit, all these aren't going to have scriptures, but I'll hit a few just so you kind of know where we're coming from with it. At verse 36, it says this, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So every time you hear a person tell, the, tell you that God's told them when, they're, when he's coming back, when Jesus is coming back, what can you do with that information? You can, you can love the person, but just recognize, you know what? Stop guessing. Have any of you heard a date put out since you've been alive? How many times do you think you've heard that? I'm just curious. At least, I, I have experienced at least half a dozen times, I think, where people have predicted. When, when I was a kid, okay, I know some of you young people think I'm really old, but we, we looked towards the 80s, all right? So some of you think, well, that's a long time ago, the 80s. But, but in, in the late 70s, there were these things that circulated there were, there were people that were, were saying that some people had gotten checks from the government that were dated 1984, I think, and, and that they said they couldn't be cashed without a mark on your hand or your head. Now, we didn't even have the Internet. So imagine how that circulated like that. There was, <laughs> I don't even know how it got around because, I, well, it got around because when people hear something like that, they repeat it to everybody they know, right? But, you know, obviously Jesus didn't come back then, right? And so since then, there's been all these people. In fact, there was one just in the last year or two, I think, and it, they'll pick a date. They'll say he's coming back. And guess what? He doesn't. Because one of the things we do know is we don't know when he's coming back, right? So we don't know that one. So let's go on to the next one. There will be a catching away of those uh, here as well as a resurrecting of those who have gone before. So when Jesus returns, there's this term. How many of you have heard the term rapture? Okay. Rapture is not in the Bible. That word is not in the Bible. Where we get it from, though, is in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Paul is talking here, and, and he's trying to encourage people uh, about what's happened and, and what's going to happen in the future. 
uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That's the term that, that is given to rapture, okay? A catching away. It's actually, the Greek is like a snatching. It's like if you just snatch something, okay? So we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be always, uh, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul's telling him, look, there's a day coming where Jesus is returning. When he returns, he'll resurrect those who have died before, and he'll catch away those who are still here, who are alive. So there will be some people at some point, we know this, that will not taste death, will not experience physical death. So it'd be neat if we're in that group, but I don't know when he's coming, right? We already said that. There will also be, here's one of the other things that we know, a period of great tribulation that's coming on the earth. Now, when people hear this, sometimes they get fearful because they think, man, if this isn't uh, as bad as it's going to get, what would it be like? Well, let me tell you something. There are times in, in, in the past that have been worse than it is today. So, you know, when you think about this, I would encourage you not to be fearful, but to recognize, okay, there's some stuff that's coming out on the earth. If you read the book of Revelation, you see when God's wrath begins to be poured out, uh, you don't want to be in that mix because... Uh, it's something that is reserved for the ungodly. Um, so that's one thing we know. Another thing that we know is there will be a thousand-year period where Jesus reigns on the earth and will reign with him. What do we call that? The millennium. Why do we call it millennium? A thousand years. Okay, It's kind of like tithe means tenth. Millennium, a thousand years. So there's this period that Jesus is going to reign, and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth, and, and, and it will be much better than any person we've ever elected. I'll guarantee you that. Also, there will be, here's another thing that we know, there will be a time where everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what that is talking about is everyone will give account for their lives. This is coming in the future. After Jesus' return, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before him. Now, for the righteous, that will be a good day. Because you know what you'll do? You'll stand before Christ and you'll say, I got nothing to offer. I just want what you, I just received what you had for me. That's it. And you know what he'll do? He'll welcome you into his kingdom and he'll reward you for what you did with what he gave you. Okay? He'll reward you. Kind of like with the parable of the talents. If you're unrighteous on that day, it's a very bad day. Because that's finality. That is those who will step into eternal judgment and and if you read Revelation it talks about a lake of fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not prepared for us. But there will be people who will not choose Christ and will spend eternity there. But we know that day is coming. We know that there is a day coming. And then also, here's another thing that we know. There will be, according to Scripture, a day when there is a new heaven and a new earth. And what we know today passes away. Now, how does that happen? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you how this one got here in the first place. So if God can do that, and, you know, scientists will tell you they know, they don't know. There is no way they can know how this planet got suspended in air and got stuck at just the right place where it would be warm enough to sustain life 
that we wouldn't freeze or we wouldn't burn up and that we would live in a place that, that can sustain. They don't know that. They might guess at it, but their guesses are really bad. Well, it just evolved out of nothing. That's not an answer. That's a really bad guess, in my opinion. So we don't know how God did it in the first place, so we shouldn't be bothered by the fact that we don't know how he'll do it in the second place, okay? But Scripture tells us that that will happen. Now, let's go to some things we don't know, all right? I'm not going to put these up on the screen for you, but just uh, there's some things that people disagree about when it comes to the return of Christ. One, uh, this whole catching away, the rapture, the thing that we talked about. Some people think, well, that's happening before the tribulation. Some people will read scriptures and go, well, that's happening. That's obviously after the tribulation. You know, that's one of those scriptures, one of those times where I look at scripture and I go, it's not really clear to me exactly when that's going to be. I tend to believe it's before the tribulation. But a lot of people, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, are you pre-trib or post-trib? Well, that's what they mean when they say that. I'm first boat out, okay? So... I'm just, whenever he calls, that's when I want to go. If he calls at first, I'm not going to go, wait a minute, that messes up my theology. And if it doesn't happen then, then I'm going to be okay with that too. I just want to stay in a position where I'm right with him, right? And I kind of figure if you do that, whichever way it happens, you'll be all right. You'll be good. So uh, then some people differ on, uh, you know, get into some confusion about the whole millennium idea. You know, what, well, is Jesus actually physically setting up a kingdom? Uh, some people believe that the millennium is uh, the reign of Christ that will be ushered in through a golden age of the church. In other words, he won't physically reign here. He'll just have the church come to a place where they install his kingdom on the earth. I don't personally agree with that. I believe he's physically going to reign here. Uh, some people believe that the church age, which we are in, is the millennium. Now, Church age has already gone over a thousand years, so I'm not sure when they think that's going to kick in. So, you know, I'm not sure about that group. I don't know how they draw all those conclusions, and honestly, I've not spent a lot of time thinking about it or following after it because I don't agree with it. So, if you do, I'm not saying anything about you. I just I don't know how anybody arrives at that conclusion, but some people do. So, anyway, now here's the thing: all the things that we don't know, you know. There's pieces that God hasn't shown yet. And, and I think we'd be all wise, even if we really think I've got revelation down pat, to recognize you probably don't. Okay? Because uh, prophecy is just like that. You know, it's given so that you have hope, so that you know what's coming, but it's also intentionally not giving you every piece of the picture. Do you know why that is? Because you know what you would do if you thought you had all the pieces of the picture? Something dumb. I don't know what you would do, but it'd be something dumb, you know. Think, now think about it. Think, think about this. Think about what people have done that think they know Jesus is coming back on a certain day. Here's some of the things that I've heard. They sell off all their possessions. Well, I don't need them anymore. He's coming back here. Or they go and buy all kinds of stuff on debt thinking I'm never going to have to pay it because he's coming back. Now, that's dumb, right? So, you know, you just kind of figure if, if we knew or we thought we knew, we'd probably do something dumb. So he doesn't tell us. He just doesn't give us the information. But here's what we ought to think about. And this is what I want us to, to really focus our attention on when we think about the coming of Jesus. How should it affect my hope? 
and how should it affect how I live? You see, knowing that Jesus is coming back, uh, you know, I heard uh, Francis Chan one time talking about his grandmother, and he was like, you know, she would never go to a movie theater with me. And, and she's, she always told me, that's not where I want to be when Jesus comes back. And he might come back today. I don't want to be there. Now, you know, I'm not suggesting that that be necessarily how you think about life, but, but it does make you think about, okay, where do I want to be? What do I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Uh, listen to what Peter had to say about the return of Christ in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, why does it compare it to a thief? Because a thief's a bad thing. It compares it to a thief because, you know, if you knew when a thief was coming, what would you do? You'd be sitting in your chair with a gun or you would have, you know, done something, right? You'd, you wouldn't just let it happen. So it's kind of like a thief in the sense that we're, we're unprepared. Uh, in a sense, we're unprepared and that we can't know exactly. When the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works uh, that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So Peter's saying, look, since all this is going to happen, what sort of people should we be? Should we live as if this is everything? Or should we live like this is just a little bit and then eternity is everything? You see, we live like this is everything, typically. But what God wants us to realize is that eternity is everything. Now, I'll tell you how this, your perspective changes as you get older. Young people, and and I remember... Uh, it's hard for you to believe I remember being young, but I do remember being young. And and when I heard about Jesus' return when I was young, you know what? You know what hit my heart? I'm never going to get to experience certain things. Jesus is going to come back before I get married. Jesus is going to come back before I have kids. I'm never going to get to experience everything. That's because I thought this is everything. And as I get older, you know what I realize? This is not everything. You know, there's some wonderful things that happen to you in life and as you're growing up and as you're getting older. And, and, and I love being married. I love having kids. But it's not the eternal, you know, in the sense that, that I would trade it that way. You know, it's a great thing. And it is eternal in a sense. But, you know, he's everything. That's everything. And so we want to live like that. Now, when it comes to this arena of finding hope, here's, here's the thing that we start to look at as Christians. Uh, in the book of Acts, very early. Now, isn't it, isn't it neat that um, when man sinned, one of the very first things God started already talking about was the redemption of man. Isn't that neat? Well, right at the beginning of the church age, in the book of Acts, right, in the day of Pentecost, uh, they were already talking about what God was going to do through Christ. And in Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 3, sorry, uh, moved the wrong one. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter's given his message on the day of Pentecost, and he says this in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom the heavens must receive until the time 
uh, for restoration of all things, all the things which God spoke by the prophets of his holy, uh, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he says, look, uh, there's a time Jesus is going to be held into heavens. It's going to be, he's going to be kept there until the fulfillment. Okay. Until the restoration of all things. Now here's the good news that we hope in when we read that is that one of the things Jesus is going to do is he's going to restore all things. When you look at our world, you know, one of the reasons why we look at it and sometimes we go, man, it's messed up. It's sin. It's brokenness. Okay. It's all around us. It's in us. Our own lives are impacted by the brokenness. But here, the good news that we hope in is that Jesus has a plan to restore it all, that he is about restoration. That is what he's doing. Everywhere you look now and you see brokenness, you should think, you know what? Jesus is in the process of restoring that. If we'll let him, he's in the process of restoring that. If you look at your family and you go, man, we got a bunch of brokenness in our family. You know what you should have hope in? If you're, if you're a Christian, you're following after Christ, he's got hope for you that he's restoring that brokenness if you'll let him because that's what he's doing. That's what he's about. In our world, he's restoring brokenness. And, and when we talk about brokenness, you know, Paul said, when we think about the coming of the Lord, comfort one another with these words. Now, you might go, well, I don't know. Do, is, is it really that broken? Well, think about this. Let me give you a few things, just thinking about the restoration of what he wants to do. Why do you lock your doors in your house and your car? What are, you being, what are you trying to be safe from? People who are wicked, right? People whose hearts are so messed up that they would just take your stuff or harm you, you know? That's, that's brokenness, isn't it? Why do we get so concerned about things like health insurance? Because you know what we know? We live in a world where what happens? The sickness is, what's that? We fall apart. We get older, you know? And we, as we deteriorate as we get older and we recognize there's some things in our bodies. And, and then, you know, we also live in a world because people's greed that, that something like health care costs so much. But also, why do we have the hurts that we have in our souls? Because of sin in us and around us, you know, our own stuff and the stuff of other people all around us. Uh, why do you get life insurance? It's a crazy name for something that only applies when you die. But... Why do you get that? Because you know what every one of us knows? Unless Jesus comes back, it's going to be a time where somebody's going to have to pay to bury me. And I don't want to be cremated. So there's going to be enough to put me in the ground, right? If any of you know my family and it ever gets discussed, be my friend, all right? Because I'm asking you, though. I'm asking those of you who know me, if my wife ever thinks about cremating me, y'all get on to her about that, all right? (laughs) All right, so anyway, it's just one of my little things, you know. I know Jesus is coming back and he's going to resurrect people and all that, and I'm really glad for all that. I just don't want to be scattered everywhere. I just want him to find me in one place, all right? He can do that. I just don't want it that way, all right? I I just don't want to make it any more difficult than it has to be. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, back to the, (laughs) back to the message here. All right. So, so sin, dust, dust. (laughs) 
sin has broken us. We know that, okay? It's all around us. If you ever think, well, is it really that bad? Yes, it is. It is. And you know why we even might stop and think, is it that bad? Is because we don't really know how it should be. I mean, we kind of get how it should be, but we don't know what it's like to experience the life that God had intended for us without sin. We don't know. But one day, it's going to happen. Now, let me read you a scripture that I think gives us a great picture of this. One of my favorite scriptures to think about when I think about hope for mankind and everything God has for us. It's in Revelation. Near the end of Revelation, uh, chapter 21. I'm going to start in verse 1. And John is, is telling us what he sees in Revelation. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I'm not sure why God doesn't need the sea in this time, but for whatever reason, it's not. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So think about, you know, a bride getting ready for her wedding day. When she steps out in that dress, she wants her husband to go, wow, right? So here's what God's wanting. When, when you see, when we see that day, he wants us to go, wow. God put a lot of thought into this. So he says it's prepared for us. And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, we might think, well, that's kind of what we have now. No, it's different. It's different. That means that it's, it's, he sets up residence among us in a way that's very different from what we've ever seen in our lifetime and what we'll ever experience until that day. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with him as their God. Now, because of that, because of what we just read, listen to what he says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that means there won't be a reason for you to cry anymore. Now, I'm not talking about happy kind of tears. There's a lot of reasons in this life that, that make us cry, right? That make us grieve. You know, we lose someone that we love or a relationship that's divided or there's all kinds of things. People say things or do things in their life. And it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. See, right now, that's not our experience. But one day, that will be our experience that, that we won't think about When's my life ending? That won't be in the picture anymore. We won't think about it ending because there will come a point where it won't. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Now, think about that. No pain. If you've, if you've ever lived with, with constant pain, what, what does that do to you? It just wears you down, doesn't it? Wears you down. There won't be pain anymore. And I think that applies to, to our souls as well as our bodies. For the former things have passed away. So there's kind of a day where everything that we know and are experiencing now is going to be a distant memory. It's going to be something that isn't a part of our experience anymore. It's going to be passed away. And then, and then listen to what he says. Behold, and he said, uh, he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Who's making all things new? God's making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So when you want to hope and, and you look at God's word, here's what you know. When God says, write it down, he's saying, I want there to be a record because you can take this to the bank. 
What I'm about to say to you, it will happen. There is no question of whether this is going to happen. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. In other words, A to Z, I'm everything. Okay? I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That's us, right? To the thirsty. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, we already, we already know we're experiencing that to a degree, but it's like the fulfillment of it all forever. That's what's coming. Now, is that good news? Is that a reason to hope? Absolutely it is. And so whenever you think about this life and it feels like this life is everything, stop and realize, you know, God's got more for us. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when we talk about Christ coming, people uh, people think, well, that seems so far away. Or other people will be like, what could happen any day? So let's just sit down and wait. Now, when Jesus talked to his disciples, uh, he didn't tell them, look, I'm coming back. So you guys just just park park on the mountain side and just wait. Just sit there. He didn't say that, did he? He told multiple parables. In fact, one of them in, in Luke 19, the parable of the minas, uh, in verse 13, he's talking and he says, uh, he gives a parable and he says the owner handed out his goods and he said, do business or some translations say occupy until I come. So what's he telling us? Okay, we look to the future. But we don't get stuck just looking up. We recognize there's some things that got to be done until then. So even though we've, we set our hope on what's to come, guess what we also need to be about? Doing the Father's business. Now, here's the thing that Jesus did. He, when he came, he said, look, he, pre- he preached the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens. He preached it all the time. So here's what he wanted for his people, what, is, what he wanted for his followers. He wanted us to, to look to the future and what he has coming. But in the meantime, in the meantime, he wanted us to take the grace that's given us, the Holy Spirit that's given us, and he wanted us to start learning how to experience his kingdom in our lives now. All right? Now, we don't get to, to when we read what happened in Revelation, we don't get to make it everywhere in the sense that we can just go, okay, Jesus is going to reign in our city, as, as in we're going to dictate it. We don't get to do that. Now, if he reigns in the hearts of people in our city, that would be a great thing. But that's where he wants to reign right now, right? He wants us, in a sense, to start preparing ourselves for what we know is coming. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, you become the kind of person that wants God to reign in your life. You see, here's the thing about sin. The, the root of all sin is self. The root of all sin is us going, I want to be in charge. So when we come to Christ, guess what we have to start learning to do? Absolutely. We don't want to be in charge anymore. We decide that got me nowhere. That's why this world's so messed up is because we got a bunch of people wanting to be in charge and nobody wanting God to be in charge. So when we decide we want God to be in charge, then something starts to transfer in our lives and his kingdom begins to be something that is present with us. It's something that is with us and in us. So, you know, we read where he said here, I'm making all things new. So you know what he does is, is he doesn't start with the planet and work to us. 
He starts where? With us. And then the last thing is all this other stuff. Because ultimately, what's God always most interested in? Heart, right? Heart. He's interested in our heart. He is wanting to transform us into, and, and you know, one of the things that, that I think we miss sometimes is we, we get stuck on the outer stuff. And we just want to, we want to go to church, you know, we want to do this and we want to do that because then we can feel pretty good about how we're living life. But what we miss sometimes is he's about inner transformation. When, when Paul said, look, whoever's in Christ is a new creation, he's giving us this picture of saying, you know what? You're something very different because something is happening on the inside that's changing you. There's a metamorphosis, in a sense, that's coming about. It's a, it's a transformation. You're being changed into something new. Now, if that's not happening in your life, you're missing out. That's the occupying part. That's the part that we stay busy with is letting God change our lives and affect our world through that change. That's what he's about. Right now, he's cultivating our affections for him. He's, he's teaching us how to live wanting the things that he wants. You know what his goal for you is? Is for you to be able to do anything you want. Now think about that. Some people think about Christianity as, I don't do anything I want. I want to do all this stuff, and they tell me no. That's not God's goal for you. God's goal for you is that you would do anything you want. The difference is he wants you to want the right things. He wants you to get to a point where you do exactly what you want every day because what you want is what he wants. Isn't that easy? If I just get changed, then I want what he wants. And so there's not a battle between me and God anymore because that's what I want. You think that's what Jesus did every day? It's exactly what he did every day. He got up and did exactly what God wanted every day because it's what he wanted. He wanted to do the same things. And so that transformation is what's happening. We're becoming a different person because used to, I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and what I wanted to do wasn't the same thing God wanted to do. And now he's changing me so that as that change happens, I get to the point where what I want to do is what he wants to do. That's the same thing. And guess who's not changing? He's not going, well, I think I'll conform to you. He's waiting for you to get who he is and change. And so we occupy. Now, the good news of, of Christ coming is it shows us so much about God. And Revelation 21 shows us his plan, doesn't it? He's got really good plans for us. He's got really good plans for, for everything that's ahead. And it all revolves around Christ. It all revolves around his relationship with us, us figuring out who he is, and us letting him work in our lives. Now, if you've been a person that has lived your life thinking, I'm going to get everything I can get in this life because this is, this is it. I'm going to really encourage this morning, change that view because this is not it. See, that would be the equivalent to you going right now, I'm going to live this next one hour hard and fast because it might be the only hour I've got. Well, you know, when you look at time, you think one hour is not a lot of time, right? I mean, we give up an hour Sometimes just reading useless information on the internet, right? The hour goes pretty quick. Might seem like it goes slow when you're at church, but it goes pretty quick, right? An hour goes really fast. So 
you know, you look at the grand scheme of things, even a day, and you think an hour is not huge. That's really how your life is compared to eternity. So if you think, I just got to get as much as I can out of this life, you really don't understand what eternity is about. And, and you know, my hope is I, I don't understand what eternity is about because I've never been there. But I want to trust God enough to go, you know what, I don't want to live for this moment so much that I treat it like this moment is more important than eternity. And that affects my choices. It affects how I think. It affects everything. You know, we're driven in this world to live for things that are temporary. It's the, it's the nature of the world that we live in, isn't it? Why do you feel the pressure to have stuff sometimes? Well, because everybody else has stuff. Or because stuff makes me happy, right? Let me tell you something. Stuff's never made you happy. If it made you happy, you'd quit buying stuff, right? Because you have it. Isn't that true? If stuff made you happy, as soon as you bought it, you'd be done. You'd be happy. But it doesn't because it's not the nature of it. It really can't. God's the only one that can make you happy. And you get him and you don't need anything else. You get more stuff, you're going to need more stuff. Because eventually it's going to wear out or somebody's going to have something new and, you know, because it just can't do that for you. But God can. So let's let's take this idea of hope and let's look to the future. And, and, and we as Christians should live aware of the things we're talking about today. Okay, we got to know something good's coming. Some really good stuff's coming. When Jesus comes back, man, it's just going to be really good. But... There's a lot of good in between now and then, too, because I get to walk with him until he comes back. And no matter what goes on in this world, he'll be fashioning me, shaping me, preparing me for eternity. And it, it's not going to be that's not going to be impacted by anything that happens in this world. In fact, God will use those things to help me be shaped. Whatever's happening in this world. And so that's good news. Amen. Why don't you all stand? We're going to pray before we go. And, and let me just offer this to you. When you think about Jesus this this year, when you celebrate Christmas, think about not just a baby. Do you know that the scriptures don't spend a lot of time on him being a baby or even a young person? And and not that that was insignificant because it, it's significant that he came. But what he did once he introduced himself to the world and his death and his resurrection and what he's done since is obviously given a lot more weight in Scripture. So when you think about him, it's fine that you think about him as a baby, but remember, he's not, he didn't stay a baby. And remember that he came and, and he grew up and he represented something. He showed us something. He died for us. And then he is coming back. And when he comes back, I guarantee you, every one of us is going to have our mouths wide open going, wow, that's Jesus? You might think that you're really impressed with him now. You spend a lot of time reading about him. You spend a lot of time understanding him. You spend a lot of time walking with him. You will be impressed with him. But when you see him in his glory, and when you get the whole picture, you're going to be impressed for eternity. And that's pretty good. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you give us enough of what's coming to know that we can have hope, and you also want us to, to occupy, to, to be about your business until you come back. Lord, not just sitting around waiting for your return, but knowing you're coming 
And I want to be one of those servants that you say well done to because I've been busy about your business. I've been letting your spirit work in my life. I've been letting your spirit work through me. And Lord, I just pray that today, Lord, we would take away as we think about your return, that you got great plans for the future, but you got great plans for now too. And you're at work within us, fashioning your kingdom. You want us to learn today to live on this earth as if we're already in your kingdom. Your kingdom can be established inside of us right now. And Lord, you're at work to do that. So we want to cooperate, Lord. I pray that you give every one of us today an eternal vision that we would see past this life and we would see everything that's coming. And we would put our, our weight on what's to come and not what is today. And Lord, help us to realize that everything here is passing away. Even the things that we really enjoy in this life, they're just temporary. They're passing away. But the one who does the will of God, the one who walks with you, abides forever. And that's who we want to be. And Lord, we want to live with people with an eternal perspective, as people with an eternal perspective, Lord. And we're grateful for giving us that opportunity. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.